Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Palette Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and guests that shape the way we enjoy life. And, uh, but just having to be there in the morning, you know, an inventory took two days. I bet. Once a month, two full days. Three of us, two full days to inventory it. Um, you know, but the, that was just, that was the way it was. And um, I always saw it as an opportunity. But one thing you stated in incredible condition from running up and down stairs all the time. Yeah, um, and secondly, they're, they're always always incredible new, incredible wines to taste. And then this is a time. Remember, this is when when California was just getting established. I mean, I was buying Stagg's wine fillers for like seventy five bucks a case. You know, before the Paris tasting, there was also the Paris tasting, and, and and you know, it it, it was a uh, you know it, it was just it was it was astounding. All those incredible wines that we would buy at you know at that time, the the big things would go in the morning at Christie's and Sotheby's, uh, and Michael Broadbent. Uh, it was one of my great heroes, by the way. God rest his soul. He recently passed away at Christie's. And, and Patrick Revenswell at Sotheby's. And in the afternoon, they take all the, le- the leftovers, you know, and then they, they box them up and you could buy stuff in the afternoon. And, you know, I, I'd buy, I remember one time I bought a, a case of wine um, for, uh, for a song and ended up throwing probably nine of the 12 bottles away. But in there was one bottle of 23 a can. And that's what I, and that's what I wanted. <laughs> Talk about treasure hunt. I mean, I'm just like picturing again in my mind's eye, you know, this really heady to say the very least experience when you get to taste wines, you know, that most even wine nerds would never get an opportunity to touch in that lifetime. All the time. You've had more of those by the time you were 30 than most of us will ever have a shot at. So that's got to be like really extraordinary. So you're pinching yourself and then the next moment you have to take care of staff, take care of business in some way, you know, run down the cellar, take care of the guests. Like it had to have been so multidimensional, like your, your whole existence was like super high voltage. Well, and, and, and you know, they're always owners, right? Uh, and, and we used to have what I called the three levels of death of Ted Balistrari, right? The first one was uh, the, the was called Restaurant Central. In, it was in the middle of the sardine factory, and sardine factory, and that was the, the corporate company yeah. headquarters at the time. And you know, you'd walk in and you knew your steps, and then you hear the voice, "Ready, ready, ready, come to the office." So that'd be that'd be you were gonna have a bad day. Yeah. You go in the office, and he had had one of those magnetic things that shut the door automatically under the desk. That means you were gonna have a bad week. Ooh. And where his first three words were, "Have we gone crazy here?" You knew you were gonna have a bad month. So I go in one day and I get the one, two, three, and I'm just, I'm just not in the mood for this today. So we're sitting there and he's, he's giving me, he says, he says, I'm about to sign a check for a bottle of wine. One bottle of wine, one bottle. He goes, 1945 Chateau Account. I go, mm-hmm. And he goes, $750. You know what you have to put on the wine list for? Remember, this is, right? This is the 70s, yeah? Seven I seven. go, I, 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 haven't, I know how much we have to put it on for. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, come here. And there, you have a window, you can see out Cannery Row, you know, his big window in his office, and you see the sardine. He goes, he says, he points yeah. to the, he says, what do you see there? He goes, I see the sardine factory, Ted. He goes, I don't. I see a wine museum. That's what I say. We just buy wines and put them on display. We don't sell things. We're not a listener. We're not a restaurant. I go, listen, I go, I go, he goes, I want an answer. I want a business answer. Maybe I need to be my, my partner in for this because I want to hear from you about why we're buying this wine for $750. And I said, we know, Ted, I'll tell you. It's replaced the one that I sold uh, two nights ago for $2,000. He goes, 
two grand? He looks at me and goes, remember, but Ted can never be wrong, right? He goes, are we going crazy here? And I go, what? He goes, you bought one bottle? He says, call the man back, get a case, get a discount. Get out, get out, get out, get out. They wouldn't talk to me for two weeks. <laughs> God, that's, that's quite something. You're quite something. Um, I mean, <laughs> once I Burke walks out the kitchen, I'm sitting there with one of our, our rare wine suppliers. We're, we're, we're having a beautiful lunch. We're drinking, um, uh, what was it, 45 level. <laughs> and he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. He goes, I'm the owner. I, I, I'm eating pasta in the back. I'm leading the employee lunch. You're eating lamb and drinking 45 level. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's one of a kind for sure. Um, where did you get that awareness, that ability to choose those wines besides the ones that were written up, but you know, he didn't just have the wines that were rated by famous critics in the salad that you went after. You had some- No, never interested no. Because, yeah. Ilona, that's what everybody else had. Yeah. I didn't want what everybody else had. Yeah. I want to find incredible values. So when a customer walked in that door, um, I, I bought one time, I'll give you an example. I bought three bottles of uh, 1870 Volnay Santino from Jean Low Lodge. I think I paid 25, 30 bucks a bottle. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, Volnay is not known for its longevity. And, and, these, and I put it on the wine list for $75. Mm -hmm. And the first one to come in and drink a bottle was Jerry Mead, the, the, the wine writer has now passed away. And I used to write for him, you know, I, I said, I, am I your highest paid writer, writer? He goes, yes, nothing. So, <laughs> but I went for the Ryan Trader just because I like Jerry so much. He goes, you're going to sell me 1870 Volnay Santino. He goes, well, it's no good. I said, I'll take it back. Mm. And it was magnificent. And, you know, and, and, and from that, legends of, 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 of the Sardine Factory seller were born. Right? I remember one time I had a, a, a note from Michael, and he, got, he says, now, I used, to, I used to love to buy wines from the Army-Navy sellers because um, the, uh, the Admiralty and, and, and all of the senior officers, they had standing orders for some of the best wines in the world. And they probably kept an artillery bunkers somewhere, but they were always in beautiful condition. But periodically, they'd find odds and ends that were not consumed, and then they'd sell them. And if I saw Army-Navy, I knew the condition was perfect. So he goes, he goes, I have 10 cases from, from, from the Army-Navy being released of 1951 Lafitte. And I go, not the greatest vintage in history. He goes, no, not by a long shot. And I said, what do you think? He goes, you know, he says, I was thinking about the last time I had it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a solid wine. It's not a great Lafitte, but it's a solid Lafitte. Mm -hmm. And he said, how much? He goes, $100 a case. I go, I'll take all 10. Mm -hmm. And of course, I heard from the owners about that. And they're like, well, why? It's not a great, you know, and I said, you're missing, you're missing the point of the exercise here. And they're like, Oh, here he goes again. Here we go again. Another wild goose chase, right? Mm -hmm. I said, birthdays. Mm -hmm. Like birthdays. I go, I'm going to put this on wine list for $100 a bottle. All right? Mm -hmm. And who doesn't want to drink a, 50, a Lafitte from 51 from their birth year? Yeah. They're like, huh. We blew through those, those, those 10 cases in like three months. <laughs> My idea with the seller was, I always looked at, at, at 60 days. I wanted the wines, I mean, a few things I buy that I knew I wanted to put away, older California wines especially, California wines from the 40s and 50s. Those, then still a huge collection at the Sardine Factory. There's the Fred Dane Catacomb down there with a plaque 
you know, glorifying me for my, my, my achievements and my accomplishments of the starting factor. And I said, you know, every time I look at it, I, I think I'm dead. You know, could you have waited a bit? You know, and they're like, nope, this is how we wanted to do it. But in there are all old Ingle notes. I mean, 40s, 50s, cast, cast 15, cast 55, cast 56. And it's all written in chalk, right? And all the rare, the, 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 the 1870 lift feet that we do for Yampanetta with the Osama bin Laden bottle. Yeah. And it's all chalk. And that is my chalk from originally placing and placing in there. We have never touched a thing. That's that's extraordinary. Um, you know, you said something earlier that you didn't have love. I think that's how you phrased it for journalism. And you recognized something in yourself. You clearly have love for this. Oh, oh no! You, you know, and and, and let, let's 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 clarify that. I have a great love for journalism. I still enjoy writing. Right. You know, I don't do it much anymore. But I enjoy it. Yes. But I have a passion for food and wine. Yeah. They're two very different things. I can hear that in your voice. Um, there's, you know, it's fuel. It's imbued with passion and love because there's no way that you would have stuck your neck out back in the day and really defended your point of view, which turned out to be right, of course. But it took a lot of guts and it took a lot of love and it took a lot of, you know, internal strength to say, I stand for this. I, I'm getting behind this bottle. I'm getting behind this purchase. I know what I'm doing. That kind of confidence and not cockiness, confidence has to come from deep within. Uh, I, I, I think I learned a lot of it from, from, uh, from Ted and Bert, yeah. right? Because I mean, they started with nothing and they built an empire, right? And they're, and they're still great to their employees. They're, 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 they still, you know, they're just, they're just great guys. They're great humans. And they've done, look, ex-head of the American Academy of Chefs, head, head of the AC, head, president of the AC, American Culinary Federation, president of the National Restaurant Association. I mean, look what they've done for the industry out of this little tiny place. I mean, it, it, it was an inspiration. And, uh, and with them, there, there, there were, there were no, no boundaries that could not be crossed. That's powerful. Let's talk about biology for a second. Um, there's, of course, the notion of super palate, but in your case, it has to be super nose as well. I mean, for you to have the ability to literally sniff out greatness, how does that work? I don't know. You know, uh, I, 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 I was in Arizona last week, my first live tasting since March, and right. I was at a marvelous restaurant called Cafe Monarch. Uh -huh. And the head psalm there uh, was my selection for the Red Roundtable, you know, for the top advanced students training program mm -hmm. last year. Um, marvelous student, very brilliant, brilliant young man. And uh, so they, they said that when I thought I was going to, we asked him to have dinner at Cafe Monarch. So we had a special dinner at Cafe Monarch in the private dining room. Uh, myself and a, a couple of my ex-students that are there. And the three psalms brought wines from their personal, I mean, beautiful, incredible wines. I mean, we probably opened up $10,000 for the wine. You know, there, there's eight of us, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, of course, they, they start giving to me blind. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm 67, okay? I went six for six. <laughs> Doss, yeah. I mean, we shouldn't even think about that kind of aspiration. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, uh, I was like, hey, man, I still got game, you know? <laughs> and my wife sitting next to me, she's like, they're like, how does he do it? The same question, how does he do it? She goes, I don't know. I just watch him do it all the time. So there's some right? biological and, uh, I, I don't know. You know, you know why? I, I think one of the things is because I, I have no fear of doing it. 
Did everybody else, oh my God, what if I'm wrong? I'm gonna look like an idiot. No, and in fact, I, it's quite the opposite. Um, I think that, that when I get a wine right, okay, great, you know. When I get a wine wrong, now I've learned something. And then I, hmm, now what, what about it? And bing, 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 I start filing it away. I start filing it away. And then now it's been a good day because I've learned something. And in the world of wine, that's the beauty of what we do. You never stop learning. You never, ever stop learning. As we speak, every, every vintage and every bottle in the world is changing. Right? New winemakers, new methods, new techniques, new vineyards, new discoveries, regions brought back to the dead, great regions going dying, all those things. It's, it's, it's an ongoing, you know, the, it, it, it is, it's, an, it's the never-ending story. Well, but, um, you know, it's interesting also that you brought up, I read that athletes, you know, have highlighted that a lot of their glory is mental. You can, you know, really train your body to the nth degree. <coughs> Sorry, but it's mental exercise. That mm -hmm. is the bottom line. That's the edge. I just, I just think it's fun. You know, and, and, and everybody else is like, well, I've never, I've never viewed it that way. Um, only a, two, a few people I've ever taught had that, that's the same gift. On, only a couple. So not only you have the predisposition clearly, and like I said, perhaps a very strong biological edge, but that fearlessness, that boldness of giving yourself permission to go for it every time. I think that's part of the, part of the magic of Fred Day. I don't know if it's magic. But probably a lot more BS than magic, to be honest with you. Um, but you know, it, it's one of the things I've always loved uh, is um, I'm 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 a great reader of, of military history and military thrillers as well. Uh, I'll be honest with you about that. Um, and it, uh, I have been for I mean I've studied Clausewitz since you name every one of them, right? And uh, but I've always been struck. Um, you, you know the SAS, right? The Special Air Service, the Special Force for, for uh, the UK, United Kingdom. Uh, do you know what their motto is? Mm -mm. Who dares wins. Who dares wins. Wow, that's worth tattooing somewhere. I'm sure many of them have. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually it's on it's on it's on their crest. Yeah, of course. Who dares wins. Wow. We could do a whole conversation just about this piece and <laughs> propose that as to be continued. Um, so there you were with your extraordinary palette and um, you dared and you won. You've crafted arguably the best list in the country. You know, certainly the balance of Bordeaux and California is unmatched. Let's, can we come back to California for a moment? Yes, we must. You know, this is a time when, when California wines, you know, there were 72 wineries in the Napa Valley. And, you know, the, the industry was really in, in its naissance. Yeah. But the people yeah. that I learned from, look who I learned from. I learned from Robert Mondavi. How about that? I learned, from, I learned from Louis Martini. I learned from Hans Cornell. Right? I learned from one of my mentors and one of the greatest men I've ever met, Andrei Chelichev. Um, over my desk, where I start work every morning, over my computer, there's a letter written to me uh, by Andre. You know, hand typed and whited out and fixed, thanking me 
thanking me, the greatest winemaker of the 20th century, thanking me for my hard work for the Chalice Chef Foundation. And it's the first thing I look at every morning because it reminds me of what true humility it really is. The man who crafted what I consider the finest wine of the 20th century produced in California, the 1951 Royal Vineyards Private Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon. Right. Talk about a great man. A great man. Figure. I mean, small in stature, yeah. but huge. And, and, and we used to talk about California wines. Yeah. And, you know, they were really just coming in their own. And, of course, then the Judgment of Paris happened, and then, you know, the, it was game on. The game was afoot, right? Yeah. As, as uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle will tell you. And it was, I mean, I watched, all of a sudden, you know, it, it began to explode. But at the same time, I, I began looking back into the past. And I began looking into wines. You know, I wanted to collect wines. And they were hard to find because nobody stored California wines. But we started tracking down wines from the 50s, you know, from the 40s, some from the 30s, right? Um, and, and, and then, you know, you could buy them for a song. And some, sadly, in a lot of conditions, was not the best. Uh, but I bought a few incredible collections, private collections. And the wines just, they were fascinating. 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. I mean, beautiful jewels and so we did that and at the same time the owner said this is monterey california california right mm -hmm. so every every wine category begins with california nice and the, i'm like we're gonna what he goes california cabernet sauvignon first bordeaux second oh i'm in love right now I'm okay scared. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. And then as Monterey, as Monterey wines began getting more notoriety, they're like, we're going to change. It's Monterey first, California second, <laughs> everybody else afterwards. And uh, that, that, that was one rule I cared never to challenge. Because in the end, it made perfect sense to me. And, and nobody was a greater champion of California wines. Every new winery, that, I think I bought every new thing that I ever looked at for 12 years. You know, I tasted it, it was good, it was solid. We probably didn't need to have, you know, another California Chardonnay, but I knew if I put it on my list, this would help these people. I mean, I remember buying Rombauer for, I mean, I bought Rombauer for Cabernet when it, when it first came in the market, you know, from Kerner. And, and I mean, a lot of these people are still great friends of mine today because I was one of, one of their, their, their first buyers, for one of their, their first orders. Williams and Sillian, I gave them their first restaurant order. I bought 10 cases. Um, you know, and, and, and they never forgot, when, even if up, to, up until uh, they sold the winery, every year they would send, up, send me a bottle of, of, of six of their best wines to say thank you for helping us getting started. Uh, At that time, I was also, I was helping select California wines from Morel's in New York for Peter Morel, one of my closest friends, oldest friends. And I, I started showing him things like Talbot Chardonnay, yeah. right? Like William Sullivan, he goes, I cannot believe these are being made in California. He goes, you want to scout for us? I said, I said, he said, what do you want? I said, no money, but I know what's in your cellar. He goes, done. <laughs> so, so um, you know, we, we helped some of these guys get started and, 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 and it just get grew and the wines became more and more beautiful. And, and who'd ever thought great Pinot Noir would come from California? When I first started judging wine, if you were on the Pinot Noir panel, you'd do anything to get off of it. Hey, I want to trade for those fruit wines, right? Hey, I'll take those homemade wines. Right, right now, what's the first thing everybody wants to be on? Pinot Noir, right? And that's the beauty of it. Like California, we're, we're still in our naissance. I mean, we're, we're basically, in all films, that's a 50-year industry for all intents and purposes. It's a 56-year industry. But look what we've done. Yeah. Look what we've done. And look what we have yet to do. 
Look at Dow as an example. That's why I came out of retirement to take this job, to take the job at Dow, because what they're doing is amazing. It's fun. It's like I get to finish my career like I started it, right? Nap in the beginning, pass over to finish, because this is my last job. This is it. You're going you're gonna to go hunt and fish and maybe just disappear after this, huh? Hunt, fish, and cowboy up. <laughs> I see that. I see that. Um, and it makes perfect sense why you work with Dow Brothers now. I mean, Daniels is possessed. You know, I don't know any other way to put it. His level of passion is otherworldly for the, 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 mo the most fearless winemaker I've ever met. That's saying a lot. No. He does things that, 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 I mean, you get fired anywhere else for, right? Thank mm -hmm. God he's also the owner. But he's not a classically trained winemaker. And as a result, he doesn't think, you know, um, uh, he doesn't think along the Davis lines or the Geisenheim lines or the Dijon lines, you know. He, he is constantly, I mean, he's one of the greatest code writers of his generation. And they don't need to do this, but that, this is his passion. And, and man, they, you know, for, for the entire harvest, he's there 24 7. He doesn't oh, yeah. sleep. I just saw that. Pump overs. He needs to do yeah. those three times a day, personally. And, and, you know, when you haven't had some of the wines that are coming. But what do you see some of the things we're going to do? I, I just I just extended my uh, my my agreement was up. I said I'd stay two years, and I did. Yeah. And then I had I had a meeting with George, and I realized he's like, we need to stay for four years. And I said, can't do it, two. Yeah. And so three. And by the end of our conversation, it was four. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, George is very persuasive. You know, plus I I like these guys. I like them. I mean, I genuinely like them. You know, I, I report to them directly. I don't report within the normal system. Mm -hmm. That was my agreement when I came on board. And, and I, I, I tell them, I said, let me tell you, I'm, I'm a pretty unfiltered guy, right? So mm -hmm. you ask me something, I'm going to tell you what I think, you know, whether you like it or not. They're like, well, that's one of the reasons we're hiring you. And uh, so we have very, very frank conversations about things. And I, I'm sure I go against the grain of, of the sales team, and the marketing team sometimes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's always, it's always good to have another, another voice. And I'm just, I'm just doing what, telling you what I think I would do or what I think would be the best approach. And if it's not theirs, you know, hey, I've been wrong before, right? But, you know, it's always good to deliver. And they're like, hey, we want to hear every opinion. That's, then we make a good decision. Yeah. And that's who they are. I mean, they'll always listen. And, and God forbid you should propose a project. You know, when I worked in the big companies, and I worked for most of them mm -hmm. uh, over the years, um, you know, you had an idea. So you go through five committee meetings, six months go by, all right? Then you finally get the exec committee, you present your idea. You present the budget, and they cut it in half, and by then it's nine months, and it's not worth doing anyway. You've already missed the window. Yeah. You know, with the dials, you and I did. You better on Friday. You better better, better, better start on Monday. <laughs> Amazing, um, and much better fit. May I just say, um, what do you think Dow Brands' greatest strength? I mean, I've always thought that their focus on single-minded, actually focus on consumer, has been, you know tremendous for them um because beautiful product without a buyer is just that a beautiful product what do you think how many price increases we've taken in the last few years i'm guessing none or maybe very small zero yeah one thing about dow wines and, and i can't say this about some of the companies that i work for mm -hmm. every time whether it's our least expensive wine or our most expensive wine every time i pull a cork I know I'm representing something great, right? That yep. is fair, fairly priced. Yep. And I know, and I know from working with them for six years in distributors, for two years with them directly, that 
if it has a Dow name on it, it is going to have our best effort. No matter which wine in the portfolio it is, it's going to have our best effort. When I look at, at the money we spend on our Oak Benjamin, you know, the creation of D20 yeast, all the things that we've done, the amount of, re we do more research than which major wine companies do. Yeah. Right, always, always with the idea yeah. of improving, always getting better, better. And, and when we pull, when we pour wines for, imagine going like that, you know, you got total confidence in every wine you're about to pour. Yeah, how about that? And you're right, it's across the spectrum and they have a pretty extensive portfolio now. How many wines are in Dow portfolios? Several, what? I, I have no idea. <laughs> I was going to say, because they cover the spectrum and they have a value brand they introduced recently. You know, and, and because, yeah, and you just asked me a today question. How many yeah. wines do you have today? <laughs> today today's half over tell me talk to me about tomorrow <laughs> yeah yep. we're, we're one thing about the dow brothers and, and about everybody at, that, that works at this company you know during the whole covid thing that they didn't furlough or lay one person off just learned that 160 not one not one yeah they created 160 jobs and they kept 160 jobs through the worst pandemic in u.s history yes yes they did that's, that's who they are right. and uh and we're Everybody in this company, we only hired, the, but the people are vetted very, very carefully. Um, and we, so as a result, I'm working with probably with the greatest team I've ever worked with, including, well, I will say that one other one that I hired most of them that was pretty darn good. But um, the, uh, this, this is the best. And, and you know, we're, we're constantly looking forward. And, and uh, everybody is on the same page. So it's really, when I go into a marketplace, sometimes I used to have to go to a place they'd be like, oh, I can't stand this person, right? You know, or this distributor sucks. I really don't want to go there. And this is just going to be a nightmare. I, I never have those feelings. When, and, and so as a result, even my trips, when I get tired of, you know, traveling six, seven, eight months out of the year, sometimes I remember that, that we're going to bring great joy to some, to some consumer out there and maybe help them discover some about our wines about themselves they didn't know before. I can see how this, inspiration continues for you because you were so inspired early on in your career now you get to experience very similar dynamic because the brand that you represent really honors everyone that oh, yeah. um and that's so important i mean that goes to integrity again that i know you maintain integrity every day this this there's there's nothing like like yeah listen i got to work for ted valstrainberg catino I get to work for George and, and George Dow and Daniel Dow. I mean, started my career, into my career. I consider myself pretty fortunate. Well, and they chose you. So you're the common denominator. Even, like I said, at the young age, they saw things in you besides your palate, but you drive your values that shine through. Um, you can't hide it. You know, you very much own who you are. And we like to talk about it a lot these days, but there's not enough examples that I, you know, witness that really inhabit the person, the human being, first and foremost. That's where it all. Mm -hmm. My, I will tell you this. I, I, my greatest achievement in my career. I've done a lot of things, and I've got whole cabinets full of stuff. Right? I got boxes of stuff I don't remember what's in there. <laughs> you know, with, with awards and this and that and all that stuff. The greatest achievement in my career is not what I did. It's the people that came after me and, and the ones that I taught. Um, that is, and when I, by the way, when I pass a master, I've never taken 10 cents for mentoring. 
35 years, not a dime. All the wines, all those things, not a penny. Um. And um, when, I, when they pass, I tell them, you owe me one thing. You owe me the next you. And until that debt is paid, you'll be hearing from me. And I guarantee you that is not something you want to happen. Be, 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 let me finish, because in my mind, you will never be a master sommelier until you pass your first student. On that glorious day, you think your day was special? What do you pass your first student? That is a glorious day. Is it the paternal piece when, you know, your baby, in the sense that new, you know, awareness, new life form, new career, new opportunities are born? Is it that? Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, it, it, I have some of my friends, my really good friends, especially some of the guys I drink wine with that are, you know, the, 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 in, in the wealth patterns of, of, of the Dow brothers. Um, and they're like, well, yeah, why do you start your wine? Why do you do this? And I go, man, you could have gotten rich. And I go, I am rich. I don't have a lot of stuff, right? I don't have, you know, eight homes and, you know, and, uh, and you know, and a private island. And I said, but when I look at back in my, my lifetime, what I've done, that's what wealth is to me. You just have a different version of it, right? One thing about yours, 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 one, yours one day will be gone. Mine will be there forever. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next episode. Thanks again for tuning into the official podcast of Palette Exposure featuring Alona Thompson. 